You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church or service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Bibles uh, or electronic devices to Matthew 18. We're going to be in Matthew 18 today uh, and we'll be looking from 21 to 35. So Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Um, what is it to be British? Um, Rosie, could you stick up the poll if that's all right? Hopefully that'll come up. This is what the answers are so far. So we have next slide. Hopefully that'll pop up. There you go. <laughs> I should have built a bit of tension here, shouldn't I? What do you think it is? Talking about the weather, 46% of the people who voted believe that talking about the weather is, is the most British thing. Brilliant. Uh, there's probably some truth in that. Then queuing, fantastic. I talked about that last week a little bit. Then moaning. Brilliant. Moaning is number three. One of this, what a happy bunch we are. We just love to have a good whinge, don't we? Fantastic. Now, actually, I'm sure that if we put drinking tea in there, that would probably be the number one slot. Is there anything that's not on the list apart from tea? This is your time to, to sort of call out what have you. But anything missing? This is obviously from a Christian perspective, because drinking would be quite high, I think. In the <laughs> so all the people yeah. who voted... All, all, my crew, all my crew would be voting drinking. <laughs> that's what it means to be British. Is there anything else there? No? Politics, but we don't want to mention that. Today we're going to be looking at a kingdom that at its core is all about forgiveness. Yeah. At its core, it's about forgiveness. Yeah. Uh, and perhaps one of the first essential characteristics that a member, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven would take on is that of forgiveness. It's, it's as... It's as likely to be in the Christian life as queuing and talking about the weather as it ingrained in the British life. So, buckle in. Here we go. I'm going to give you a quick series recap. Um, and we're currently looking at the series uh, about the kingdom of, he- of heaven. And the kingdom and the king are inseparable. Sorry about my voice today. I, I think... Actually, I think they're probably doing me some favours. I, I feel like I sound like Brian Adams or something like that. So maybe I should quickly record an album while I sound like this. <laughs> it's fantastic. I, I, I'm in love with my own voice right now. It's really, it's <laughs> you, know, you know when you listen to it later, though, you never like your own voice. So you know, I'll come crashing out. Don't worry, I'm not going to get tired for you. <laughs> the kingdom and the king are inseparable. So when we're talking about the kingdom, we're talking about the king. And when we're talking about the king, we're talking about the kingdom. When we're talking about kingdom traits, we're talking about those that the king exhibits. Inseparable. So the kingdom is like, the king is like. And the kingdom's not geographical, but it's near, it's in our midst. Uh, It's actually right here present, where God's will is outworked in our lives. It's free, but it's costly. It's valuable, it can go unnoticed, but it contains power unlike any other that you have known or could experience. It provides spiritual food to sustain us, to to help us to grow, and it also provides for us a covering for our nakedness, 
a shelter and an anchor within the storms of life. It places us into a family and it says that we are valuable, we are significant, that we belong, but it doesn't put us on a pedestal. It, it doesn't hide us in obscurity, like you don't matter, you're just a number in the crowd. But at the same time, it doesn't elevate us and make it all about us. The kingdom is all about the king. Yeah. If you have a platform, it's the platform Christ. If you have influence, it's to elevate his gospel. He must increase. I must decrease. Not, he must increase more than I increase. That's the way that I think it often translates into our head. As long as he's increasing more than me in my life, then that's okay. No, he must increase, I must decrease. There's a, an opposite direction going on there. And then one day, the division will be clear between those who have sought to increase themselves and pursue their own agendas and those who have sought to put his agenda first and increase him in their lives. Those who desire him and those who desire not to have him. And the kingdom is increasing. It is growing, regardless of what it looks like. It's growing in us personally. It's growing in the world. It's growing in this town. But as it grows, it can be counterfeited. It can be faked. And we here at Riverview Church, we do not want anything fake. We, we don't want anything in here, no matter how attractive it is, no matter how convincing it looks, no matter how logical it sounds, we want the authenticity of the risen Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel, his kingdom in this place. And we want nothing more, nothing less than that. The genuine kingdom, the genuine king. Amen. Uh, any experience we have, any prophecy or tongue that we hear, any teaching that we sit under, even mine, any theory, any theology that we hold dear, let it all bow before the King of Kings, because we want him. Yeah, you know, in this place, you, you could say, hey, look at this church, look at what this church is doing, why don't we do that? Look at what that church is doing over in America, why don't we do that? Why, why don't we get on board with that? We need to do this for the gospel. No, we need to... We need to listen to the king who's the king of this church. We need to listen to the God who's the God of this town. And we need to listen to him, not trying to replicate what somebody else is doing. Bless them. But we want to see what God wants here and now. We want to move knowing that he is the one worthy of our ears, worthy of our attention. Let's go to Matthew 18. That was my intro. And then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? <coughs> Up to seven times? He's going for some brownie points here because the rabbis used to hold those three times. That was the amount of times you forgive someone before he was going to be done. So, so Peter's like, hey, I'm going to go a step further than the rabbis. I'm going to impress the saviour here. And I'm going to say seven times. And Jesus, as often he does, says, Pete, you've missed the point. <laughs> Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or seven times 70. Yeah. And he's not saying, guys, tally on your walls until you've got 77 tallies down, you know, and then sack it, they done. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him, and since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will repay everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. Now, just stop here and just see the problem here, because 10,000 bags of gold, what kind of value are we talking about here? Jesus wants you to know this guy was so in debt, there was no way. And here he is saying, just please give me time, I'll pay it back. The master already knows, no chance. You can't pay this back. The only way for you to avoid my judgment on this, for you to avoid the consequence of this debt, the only way is for me to write it off for you. Mm. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. I mean, this is an elevation here. The master didn't try and choke him. He just said, pay back. And this guy then goes and he grabs this other servant, this, this colleague, by the neck and says, repay me everything that you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. This sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Plead it, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Mm. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? What does the Lord require of you? Act justly, love mercy, walk in humility with your God. In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Mm. From your heart. Put simply, mm. you cannot afford the forgiveness that you have received. And you cannot afford to withhold forgiveness from anyone. That's right, Jesus. Yeah. Whoever you are, whatever your story, mm -hmm. that's what Jesus is saying here. Mm. Mm -hmm. You cannot afford the forgiveness that you have received. Let that penny drop for a second. And at the same time, and because of that, you cannot afford to withhold forgiveness from anyone. No, forgiveness is hard. Why is it so hard? At some point, you will have forgiven somebody, or you'll have needed to, or perhaps need to right now. But it can be so very difficult, can't it? I want to deal with this with sensitivity today. Why? Why is it so hard to forgive? Well, I think there's a few, I'm going to pick out three things. It's not to say that's exactly, you know, that's the lot. Culture is alien to our culture. Forgiveness is alien to our culture. Culture does not mind you, by the way, being a believer. Note that down. Culture does not mind you being a Christian as long as 
that doesn't cause you to diss somebody else's reality. They don't mind you worshipping God as long as you pay homage to the gods of the society as well. You, you, can, you can have multiple gods, that's fine. What you can't do is say, this is the way, the truth, the life. You cannot say, this is a narrow gate. You cannot say, your religion is wrong, or your belief system is wrong. If you do that, you're ostracised from society, you become a pariah to society. Timothy Keller points out that when, in Daniel 3, when there's these three characters called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I think if any of you... Uh, any of you going to have babies soon? Maybe you should consider one of those names. Is they great? <laughs> Go for Shadrach. That'd be cool. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, just for the, for the tape, for the podcast, I was looking at Andrew Watt when I said that. If you want me to edit that out later on so it's not broadcast across the world, you tell me and I'll... Uh... <laughs> Get myself in trouble all the time. Timothy Keller points out that these three characters were thrown into the blazing furnace by Nebuchadnezzar and it wasn't because they were worshipping God. It's because they refused to bow down to the golden uh, idol that he had created. Uh, and actually, that was, that was created out of a melting pot, physically and metaphorically, uh, a golden image that represented not just Nebuchadnezzar's gods, but all of the gods in that multicultural society. Because Babylon at this point in time has just been ransacking all these cultures and kingdoms around it. And what they did very clever, they pulled in some of the brightest minds of all of those cultures. And what they wanted to do was milk that so they got the quality, but also transform their thinking so that it fit that society's mandate. So you're welcome to have your gods, as long as you have everyone else's. Mm-hmm. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused. You're welcome to practice a form of Christianity, as long as it accepts the subjective truth and the validity of others' beliefs. And as long as it incorporates the values of the society, the freedom to behave as we please, to be who we please, Fluidity of identity. I can be whoever I want. That's a very hot topic in the news now. And if you say, well, that's ridiculous, you're branded instantly as a bigot. Mm-hmm. I want to be a hobbit. Actually, no, that's believable. <laughs> <laughs> we thought you were. <laughs> well, come on, Come on. I, I want to be a giant. I want to be a six foot seven strapping guy. So I want you all to refer to me as a six foot strapping giant of a guy right now. No. (laughs) Exactly. Because you can see that it's not real. Now why am I talking about that when we're talking about forgiveness? It's this. That we seem to have a culture of tolerance in this country. That's what it is on the surface. That's what it will say if you're taking the citizenship test for Britain. It will say that this is a tolerant society and any intolerance is not welcome here. But the minute you say, you're not welcome here, what are you doing? You're being intolerant. So it's an oxymoron straight off the bat. We have a live and let live society and what it really means is this. We will let live only so far as it brings no challenge to my view, my way of life, or my set of beliefs. We will tolerate only what tolerates us 
And if there's a conflict, it's not me that's in the wrong. Forgiveness, on the surface, seems to be a value of our society. I'm not just talking about the UK, I'm talking about the whole Western world. Forgiveness seems to be a, a good value, a principle of our society for good community, but it's entirely conditional. That's why I'm talking about what I talked about a second ago. That's the context. It's entirely conditional. The conditions are heavily restrictive. You do not deserve forgiveness if you continue to disagree with me. That's what society says. So forgiveness is on the condition that you transform your way of thinking and accept mine. That's the condition of forgiveness. You don't deserve forgiveness if you stop or hinder me from being who I want to be. You do not deserve forgiveness if you actually hurt or offend me. You, you know, unless of course you heavily and grovelingly apologise and change your standpoint. If not, I don't have to give you any forgiveness. Forgiveness depends upon how badly you've behaved and how many times you've misbehaved. Society puts a line in the sand and it never takes into account that none of us are so sinless that we can throw stones at each other. Not one of us. The next reason is that we struggle to get past ourselves. Even in church. This isn't, this isn't something that wears off. Intrinsically, in the core of our flesh, we are selfish by nature. If you don't believe that, just think about it this week and you'll see probably by the end of today, one area at least where you've been selfish, where you've put yourself before somebody else. As, a, as individuals in our society, it's not unlike ancient Babylon. We've, we've chosen a type of freedom that actually isn't freedom at all, but is rather enslavement that will destroy the fabric of who we are meant to be. Self-centeredness. Really, that is the underpinning force beneath the morality and the values of our society. It is self-centeredness. Our choices, our way, our decisions for our happiness, our fulfilment, our pleasure, our satisfaction. And when you see that creep into the church, this isn't my notes, but you, you call it out and, and run from it because because we can come to church with a mindset of, I want to be satisfied. How about him being glorified? Because when you do that, you'll find that the satisfaction comes deeper than anything that you can manufacture for yourself. In society, everything is permissible and everything is beneficial, if you believe it to be so. Complete... Self-absorption uh, leads in only one direction, mm -hmm. self-destruction. Yeah. Sadly, it's so true amongst us as well that we fight to get seen in church. We, we, we fight to demonstrate our gift. Shameless kind of self-promotion happens across the world. We think it's about us. You know, Ian says quite often, and I love this, he says, like, if we've got a gift, we don't need to shout about it. It'll make itself known. God, God will provide a platform if he wants a platform for it. He will do that. You don't have to do anything. 
And we get easily offended. We struggle to forgive. Uh, and when we get hurt, we find that it's easier to leave. It's easier to move on than to stay and work it out. Mm-hmm. Because the cost of forgiveness is too high for us. Mm-hmm. We see a church and we see fault in the church. And rather than trying to deal with that, trying to be part of the change, trying to go about talking about it in a godly way, we just up and go. Because, well, I'm just going to find something that satisfies me, that fulfills my needs. That's maybe helping you have a comfortable life. But it's not helping the body grow. It's not helping the bride of Christ be prepared for him. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness is hard because we have a strong sense of justice and morality, not necessarily like God's justice and morality, but more like a self-constructed ladder of offences that suits us and allows us to say, I might not be perfect, but at least I'm better than. <laughs> you know? That's right. And you may well be better than somebody else. In fact, I guarantee it that if you look around the world enough, you will find somebody who's, who's worse behaved, who's more selfish, who's, who's more dangerous. You will find somebody. But it's like this. It's like the difference between living in Boness or living in Linlithgow when your destination is New York. What difference does it make that I live here and you live there when the destination is so far away? What difference does it make that I'm better behaved than you are, or the other way around, when the destination is perfection? (coughs) It makes no difference. And I think the reason is that largely we have a dim view of what forgiveness actually is. We have a poor understanding of forgiveness. We, we see forgiveness like it's a chore, like taking out the rubbish, emptying the food bin, putting the dishes in the dishwasher, and then redoing it because Jess hasn't done it right. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving her opportunity. <laughs> what kind of preacher am I if it's just all words and no object lessons? You know, come on. That's not even in my notes. It's not a joy like going to get the groceries when the wind's howling and the rain's beating down on you. That's not a forgiveness, it's oh, I better do it because God told me to. That's not a good view of forgiveness. It's not like something that we have to build up to either. Like, oh, I'm not quite there yet. I, I want to, but I'm not quite ready to forgive. That's, that's not a good understanding of what forgiveness is. It, it's uh, as if it's something that's given out at an appropriate moment, which normally would be when somebody else says sorry, or when somebody else changes their behaviour. Then we're, we're okay with that. Yeah, okay, maybe now I can forgive you, because you're no longer doing that thing. And, and forgiveness, we, we often see, must contain some sort of mandatory lesson to change that person's behaviour. And of course, actually giving the forgiveness is dependent on whether they take that lesson on. In Matthew 18, we hear great advice on how to deal with things like offence and forgiveness. Uh, and, and so often we completely bypass what Jesus says here and go straight for the public shaming. It's the, it's the part, just before where we've read, where, where, where Jesus says, if a brother 
sins against you. You go to him, you show him his fault. Uh, and if he doesn't listen, then take one or two other people. And if he doesn't listen then, then take the church. And if he doesn't listen then, then put them outside. And by the way, that's not saying you're cut off from society. That's not saying that's the end. Because just a couple of sentences later, Jesus says 70 times 7. That's how many times you appropriate forgiveness for somebody else. You know, I think sometimes we can hear wrong. Just like Peter does when he says, actually, therefore, go seven times to forgive. We hear God's word wrong. We read the Bible wrong and we get into all sorts of trouble because of it. Like this. I mean, as we know from last week, if you were here, you know I'm not sporty. When I was a kid, I was a wheezy little kid. You know, now I'm fat and wheezy. But that's okay. But I was, a, I was a wheezy little kid, but I was a scrapper. I was a scrapper. I would get in all sorts of fights and things like that. Now, imagine this. If I had a literal understanding, not a literalistic, sorry, understanding of what Jesus is saying here, I would go to my brother and show him his fault. Now, what if my brother smacked me around the chops? Well, I'm going to show you what he did. Sorry, mate, you won't make <laughs> That's not what Jesus is saying. Don't show them like you do it to them. And then if... If he doesn't listen, take a couple of mates with you. They're all sure. And if he's still not listening, if he hasn't learned the lesson by that point, then take the whole church, we'll all have a kick. That's not what Jesus is saying. You know that, of course. Matthew 18 does not facilitate our criticism of one another. It prevents it. Mm-hmm. Because what we often do is when we feel offended, we'll go straight for the public shaming. We'll go straight for, I'm, I'm not speaking with you. I'm going to be polite to your face, but that's as far as this goes. I'm going to look forgiving, but that's as far as it goes. I'm going to hold my own head up so nobody in the church thinks that I've got a big issue in my life, but really, what's going on under the surface is, I refuse to forgive you. And all too often we just are too quick to tell other people that that's what we found in someone else. We've got to stop doing that. Some of the things that are ingrained in British culture are ingrained in you. Why? Because you grew up here. Not literally, but it's in your blood. It's, it's all you've known, it's evident in the ways of everybody around you, and has been, as you grew up. That's why if you grew up in Yorkshire, guess what, you're going to have a Yorkshire accent. If you, if you grew up in Birmingham, poor you. <laughs> <laughs> I love Birmingham. I just can't understand what they're saying. Um, <laughs> they're not requirements of entry into this country. It's not like you're not British if you don't like tea. I know plenty of British people that don't like tea. I know plenty of British people that aren't polite or won't cute, but they're still British. But it tends to be that if you're British, it's kind of ingrained in your culture and your mind. Forgiveness is not an entry qualification into the kingdom. It's not like prove yourself first. That's not what Jesus is saying. Prove yourself first by forgiving. Notice what the Master does. He forgives first. Mm-hmm. He does it, and then says, now do this. 
The, the qualification is him. The qualification is him saying, I've cancelled that debt. I, I've, I've cancelled it. And the law and the written code, and I've nailed it to the cross because you could not fulfil that. And so I've done it for you. We're not saved by our good works. We're saved by his grace through faith in his good work. It's, it's on, our, on our behalf, but as a believer, good works will follow. Good works will follow. You're not saved by how well or by how many times you forgive others. Now, we can read that into the text because at the point where this guy was forgiven and wouldn't forgive, he gets chucked into prison. So you can read into that, well, I've, I've got to do forgiveness. I'd, I'd better get my list out and, and go through who I need to forgive and just make sure I've got a clear record with God. Listen, your record is clear with God because of Jesus. Mm. You're, you're not going to be able to clear anything. Mm. You don't forgive because it's a mandatory thing and otherwise... Forget it, guys. You forgive because of the amount that you've been forgiven. And when you've been forgiven that amount, it's ridiculous. And that's the point Jesus is making. It's ridiculous. When you've been forgiven 10,000 bags of gold worth of sin, it's ridiculous that you would take offence and not let somebody off that because they called you a chump. Or because they hit you. Or because they wronged you deeply, but still, look at the weight yeah. of forgiveness. Yeah. If you've experienced the wonderful reality, the fullness of forgiveness of God, then forgiveness will naturally flow out of who you are. Now, guess what? If you spend time with Jesus and around his people, then you're going to become more like him. You're going to take on the likeness of the Saviour. If you're a citizen of the kingdom, then increasingly you will become more kingdom-like, more king-like in that respect. At the heart of the kingdom's culture is forgiveness because it was that very attribute that bought for you on that tree. He cancelled your death. Hallelujah. Not by ignoring it. Thank you, God. Not by going, oh, it's not that bad, I'll let you off. But by taking it on his own shoulders, his, his own outstretched, nail-pierced hands, paid it for you. You know, you can't claim to be a believer. That is to be a person indwelled with the Holy Spirit and a child of God and not display the characteristics of Jesus. And if you are, if you are a believer, if Jesus is present in your life, then you might have rocky starts and you might have rocky days and you might have difficulties along the way, but increasingly the fruit of the Spirit will be growing in your life and these kingdom characteristics will become, be becoming more and more obvious. They become attractional then. Now, to some people, that's going to put them right off. Uh, as Paul says, to some, we're like the stench of death. Because forgiveness is offensive. And there might well be some of you in this room that are offended 
with the notion that you've got to let that person off of what they did to you. Because, because you're thinking, you can't know what happened in my life. You can't know what that man did to me. You can't know what my parents did. You can't know how somebody's pushed me to the side or ostracised me. You can't possibly know how that feels. And you know you're right. But what I know is this. I've done so much wrong in my life. I have hurt, if you add it up, so many people, sometimes in small ways, sometimes in huge ways, sometimes in devastating ways. But worst of all, I've kicked God into the sidelines of my life too often. And for the first 20 years of my life, I ignored him completely. Or even, I didn't even ignore him. I purposefully tried to just say, you're not really there. If anyone could take offence from anyone, it's God taking offence from how I've behaved towards him. Because that's worse than anything that this world has shown you in terms of violence and horror. That's offensive. Forgiveness isn't an option that you can take or leave. Equally, it isn't something that you can force. It's not something that you need to evidence in terms of, I have to tick this box. Don't force it. It has to come from your life being united with the life of Christ. This isn't a do better. I'm not saying do better this morning, church. I'm not saying get your act together. I'm saying look at Jesus. Spend time with him. Fall in love with his gospel. Fall in love with his character. Fall in love with who he is. And this will come. It will become easier. You will find that you're able to forgive. Not because you've suddenly miraculously just got over the fact that this person did you devastation. But because you understand how great he is. Allowing God to have his way in your life. The language of heaven is the language of forgiveness. It's hospitality and it's grace. And I'll just finish with this quote from Romans 15, 7. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then. That could be translated as welcome one another. Not on the surface. Go deep. Accept one another. How? Why? Just that. Christ accepted you in order to bring praise. Forgiveness means that we fully invest in one another's lives. We don't just pick up and leave if there's something we don't like in each other. We take the hits, we take the vulnerability, and we grow. And when it's hard, we look to Him until we can say, It's well with my soul. So, Father,